Now here's what we're going to do this fall. We are going to look at the first five chapters of the book of John. Now you might say, well, why not look at the whole book of John? Well, have you ever tried to eat a pound of fudge at one sitting? <laughs> you just can't do it. And so, so over the next year or two, what we'll do is we'll look at a section of John, in this case, chapters 1 through 5, and then we'll look at another book, or maybe we'll go over a series, and then we're going to come back uh, to the book of John. And uh, we'll see why we want to do this in a moment. Uh, so... <clears throat> This, this morning, we're going to look at the first five uh, verses of chapter 1. Uh, this is part of a prologue that we'll see from verses 1 to 18. Very famous prologue in the book of John. In fact, without the prologue of the book of John, chapter or verses 1 through 18, really the book of John doesn't make any sense. John is giving us, as it were, a theme statement. And for the rest of John... Jesus Christ himself is extrapolating on the first 18 verses. So we have uh, the first five verses. And if you would be opened to this being the word of God, these are amazing verses. So if you would, read along with me. In the beginning was the word... And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And in Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, these are your words. And we thank you for your word that you have not left us in the dark, but you have spoken. Indeed, you are the Lagos. And so, Lord, we ask that today and the months and the weeks that, that, the weeks and months that I had, that you would open up to us this book, that we might know who Christ is, that he is the God-man, and that the practicalities of who he is should work their way out in our lives every day. Uh, Father, there's a great number of folks that are here today. I don't know where they stand with you. Maybe some are not sure if you are who you are. Maybe there are those who are actually opposed to the gospel. Maybe there are those who are uh, not sure where they stand with the gospel or those who have known Christ uh, for many, many years but cannot plumb the depths of who he is and what he's done for them. So, Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to make things clear to us. Uh, we cannot change ourselves. The leopard cannot change his spots. Uh, nor can we uh, change the color of our skin. But Lord, you are able, by your grace, to transform our hearts. And we pray that you would do that this morning. 
And we ask these things in, in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. I've already mentioned this, but 20 years ago, Mary Beth and I came uh, to Athens, Georgia. Uh, and the reason that we, we came to Athens, Georgia, is because Athens is largely an unchurched city. I've mentioned this many times, but uh, uh, recently, and I think I mentioned this uh, last week, that, that the Baptists did a survey that with Inside the Loop, only 12% of people go to church. There's 88% unchurched. They're here. And so why do you come? You, let me tell you why you come. You come because you are to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, that men live in darkness. And, and that apart from, from Christ, they remain in darkness. So we preach the gospel. Well, the word gospel, uh, what is that, where does that word come from? What does it mean? Let me tell you what the word means. It comes from a German word, Gutspell. Because the Germans did a lot of theology hundreds of years ago. And Gutspell is a translation of the Greek word euangelion, which is used throughout the New Testament, uh, which means good news. Now, I don't know where you're coming from. You're maybe here for the first time. You might think that the gospel is about advice, how to be like Jesus, uh, how to get my act together. I have people all the time say, yeah, you know, I need to, I need to get back to church. I'm like, well, you, you need to get back to church because you need to know who Christ is. So the gospel is not good ad advice. It's good news. In fact, they had to come up with a different name for preacher. It was always rabbi. It was always teacher. But when Christ was raised from the dead, uh, they had to come up with a different word for those who would proclaim the gospel. And so they came up with the word herald. So all the apostles are doing, all we as Christians are doing is we're basically witnesses to the good news that Christ has been raised uh, from the dead. A lot of you have been changed by this gospel over the 20 years I've been here, but I tell you, as a minister, I often ask myself, of the thousands of people who've been through Redeemer in the last 20 years, I've often asked myself, Have I been clear about this? Uh, are people hearing the gospel in a crystal uh, clear way? Are they responding to this gospel? And so there's two things I've always sought to do uh, in preaching the gospel. There's two things to do if you're to be faithful. One is to preach the law of God. That's why God gave the law in the Old Testament. The purpose of the law, the entire Old Testament, but especially the Ten Commandments, it is the schoolmaster to bring us to faith in Christ. The law was given by God to condemn us because we're already condemned. Jesus says that in John chapter 3. I came not to condemn the world, for the world is already condemned. And so God, in preparation, gave the law of God like a schoolmaster to get you away from both your unrighteousness and your self-righteousness. The law exposes you and all of us, who we are, in all of our unrighteousness. And if you're a self-righteous person, the good news of the gospel is that the law is simply to drive you out of your self-righteousness and to drive you to Christ. So you have to preach that. Does that make sense? Has the law done its work? 
But then on the other hand, to be a faithful minister of the gospel, you have to preach grace. So we call it the law of grace. But if you preach grace and you don't preach the law, then rather than seeing Jesus Christ and the good news of grace is Him being condemned on our behalf. And His blood necessarily being shed on the cross so that we might enter into the presence of God. Basically what we turn Jesus into is uh, some kind of uh, one who helps us with our psychology. No, He's your co-pilot. Or, or He's there to help you uh, in time of need rather than the one who brings eternal life. For the good news is to know Jesus Christ clearly depicted in the gospel that he is both, and we'll see it in this prologue, but certainly this morning, but he is our creator and our redeemer. You take that out, you don't have Christianity. Now this morning, I just want to look at five verses Uh, But before I do that, I want to give just a little bit about the prologue. I want to give you what the prologue is and why the prologue's there. And then the second thing I want to do is just expand on these verses. Look at these five verses and then we'll close. Now the church has spent 300 years, the first 300 years, looking at this this prologue, the first 18 verses, but especially the first five verses. Now, I hope when I read John 1, 1 through 5, especially if you're not a Christian here today, and you're looking at that, you're going, wow, what a claim this there. Now, I spent uh, probably uh, over the summer studying the book of John, the first five chapters. I bet you I spent 80 hours on the prologue. And out of the 80 hours, I bet you I spent 40 of those hours reading and looking at the significance of the five verses uh, that we've just read. It's impossible to plumb its depths, isn't it? I mean, look at verse 1. If you just look at verse 1, it is enough to boggle the mind. In the beginning was the word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Again, the church for centuries hammered that out. Who is this person? Who is Jesus Christ? In the rest of the book, Jesus is unfolding himself, the prologue, that he is both light and life, in contrast that the opposite of life and life, light and life, is darkness and death. And, and I can say this, if, if the gospel is not true, if Jesus is not who he said he is, then that's all we're left with. Darkness. Warning in the dark. And of course, death. And not just physical death, but sometimes the death that we bring upon each other because we're not united to him who is life. And so John gives us this prologue. Now, here's just a couple of things I want to say about the prologue, and I wish I had all 18 verses. I forgot to tell uh, the secretary to put all 18 verses here. But let me just say a a few things about this. Uh, First off, uh, for lack of better terms, 
liberal scholars do not like this book. Now, when I say liberal scholars, maybe you're here today and, and I, you know, that has a political term to it. I, I don't know what people think when they hear the word liberal. I don't mean it in any pejorative sense. But I mean it as those who are scholars uh, who study the uh, Greek and the Hebrew, uh, but they themselves are not convinced that the text speaks for itself. Um, they attack this book, the book of John. Uh, and I know because I sat under liberal scholars for, for many years, for several years when I was in college. And partly I did because if Jesus Christ is not son of God, I, I, you know, I thought I'd become a Christian. I had to become a Christian, but I didn't want to give up my whole life for somebody that wasn't the son of God. And Which, by the way, if you're a Christian right now, let me tell you, whatever you're thinking about doing that might be contrary to what God wants, whether it's your family or the way you do your finances, or relationships, or whatever it may be, you need to stop and go back and consider who Jesus Christ is and what he says about himself. Now, let me tell you why they attacked the book of John. Because it is in the book of John, known as the theological gospel that we'll look at in a moment, where John is depicting who Christ is and Jesus is confirming it. And so you have all the I am passages, don't you, in the book of John. I am the bread of life. He who feeds upon me will never hunger again. I'm the resurrection and the life. I mean, imagine how odd that would be if he were not God. If I was your pastor, say, hey, listen, you don't need Jesus. I'm the resurrection. Um, I am the vine. He who abides in me has life. I am the door. Of course, there's that famous passage in John uh, chapter 14 that I remember. I asked a professor about this, one of my religion professors. I said, but what Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one in this room comes to the Father but by me. And of course, his response to that was, well, look, son, that's John. And John was written in the late 2nd century. 200 years almost after Christ. And their argument and their desire to demythologize Jesus, because obviously in their minds their presupposition is just a human being, is to demythologize him so we can glean all his teachings. You know, love your neighbor. Love your enemy. But let's get rid of all this fairy tale stuff. And so that was the argument. But the problem with that argument is that they have found papyri called the, in the John Rollins Library that dates back to almost the first century. Some dated as early as the first century, uh, a lot say between 125. So within 50 years at least of John's death, who John says he writes this, is a papyri of the book of John. It blows the whole theory that it was uh, created by the Christian cult to make sure that we keep Jesus. And so the Christian cult 200 years ago moved him from just a human being and deified him. You can go read some Dan Brown books. And he'll, he'll tell you that. 
So that's the first thing to see. I mean, obviously, this book is attacked because I'm telling you, if you're not a Christian today, and I would encourage you, if you're not a Christian, go read John. You'll know who Jesus Christ is. Go read John. That's one of the first things I tried to do when I was a campus minister for years and years. And I'd have uh, students who say, I don't know if I believe any of this. I'm like, great. I tell you what, go read the first six chapters of John and then tell me what you think. Um, I remember, um, I think I've told this story, but uh, when I was in RUF uh, years ago, and this, uh, the first RUF, there'd always be hundreds of students that are there. Remember, Justin, like, there'll be hundreds when you first get So this kid comes up to me afterwards. His name was Andrew. I'll never forget. Andrew came up afterwards, and he said... Uh, he said, man, that was an awesome talk, but I didn't believe any of it. Uh, and I said, really? Uh, and I said, where are you from, Andrew? And he told me where he's from. And I said, um, I said why don't you believe it? Uh, he said, because uh, I, he said, I'm an atheist. And I said, well, you must be a freshman. And he said, yeah, how'd you know that? And I said, well, I, can I be honest with you? And they go, a bunch of students are standing around. Of course, this kid can handle it. I liked Andrew. But he, uh, he said, yeah, I can handle it. I said, well, because even a philosophy professor might tell you that that's a universal negative. So just say you're an agnostic. You, you can't just say I'm an atheist. You'd, you'd have to be God to basically say there's no God. And he said, oh, okay, that's good. Uh, I'm an agnostic now. He said, when can we get together and talk about it? I said, talk about what? And he said, just what you got through talking about. I said, well, why would I want to do that? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I got all these students around here. And a lot of them have just come to Christ. A lot of them want to know who Christ is. But you've already told me that you don't believe any of it. So why would I spend time with you when I got all these other students? Of course, I'm messing with him, okay? <laughs> and he said, well, uh, and then I said, okay, I'll make a deal with you. Read the first six chapters of John. And I'll get together with you. And so I would see Andrew in the cafeteria there at Vanderbilt. And I said, hey, Andrew, how are you doing? Hey, Ray, uh, have you read the first six chapters of John? Uh, no, I haven't gotten around to it. All right, well, then don't call me till you read those first six chapters. And I saw him, and I would see him. And, and uh, of course, uh, eventually I, I didn't see him anymore. My second year is his sophomore year. I'm getting ready to move to come down here. And I had an office at a different place that somebody had given me and had my name on the door to get away from the state so I could study. And, uh, and so my name was on the door, and there was this note from this student, Andrew. And Andrew, <laughs> so, so Andrew leaves this note on my desk, and he says, Hey, listen, I would really like to get together with you. Can we get together? Do you remember me? I said, of course I remembered him. And then he signed it, Andrew. And then it had P.S. You know what P.S. was? I've read the first six chapters of John. So, so, so scholars want to attack this book because this book has life and, and light in the book. Now the second thing to say about uh, the book of John, uh, that, that it's different than all the other Gospels. You know, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you're kind of new to the faith, uh, it's wonderful to know there are four, four different Gospels, right? But the, four, the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called synoptic Gospels. And what you'll discover is there's a different style. For instance, John, two-thirds of the book is the last week of the life of Christ. 
uh, you'll notice that Jesus' uh, ministry in the book of John is all done in Jerusalem. In the Synoptic Gospels, uh, it is in Galilee. Uh, you'll see that Jesus uh, uh, speaks to a lot of issues that the other uh, go- uh, Gospels don't record, such as uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. But here's the question. Why is there this prologue in John? Well, let me tell you, Matthew and Luke deal with the genealogy of Christ. And there is no genealogy in the book of John. Because what we just read in the book of John is that Jesus, the incarnate Christ, was before the beginning. And so John is writing a gospel, and he tells us at the end of the, of the, book, uh, of the book of John, in the epilogue, that the reason I am written this book is so that you might believe in him. And in believing in him, that you might have life. So one more thing about this. One last thing to understand is the purpose of the prologue. The purpose of the prologue is to reveal the identity of who Christ is. John, more than any other writer in the Gospels, is is making it very clear who the person of Jesus Christ is. His identity. Now, I want want us to look. uh, In the the remaining time, the second thing I I want us to do is just simply look at uh, these verses. And the two things I want us to see in these verses very clearly is that he's before the beginning and he's God. Uh, if you again, if you would read with me, verses uh, 1 through 5. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It is clear that John is paralleling uh, Genesis chapter 1. That's why we had it in our Old Testament readings. Then in in chapter 1 of Genesis it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And one of the main points in the book of Genesis is that when God created, He created ex nihilo. He created out of nothing. He spoke and it came into existence. The Logos. Now, when John is writing, especially in these first few verses, both the Greek mind and the Jewish mind could track with him about the Logos. For the, for the, the, the Greeks believed that there was this universal principle that ran through the universe was that there is rationality that's out there. Whoever that God might be, he is one who uh, makes everything fit together. So when they hear that, they hear the Logos... They don't disagree with that. And then we have the Jews. And the Jews believe that the word is the mind of God spoken. It is God's will and that when he speaks, there are things that happen. And so they don't necessarily disagree with what is said here in in John chapter 1 as well. That 
in the beginning was the Word. A lot of Jews look at Proverbs 8 when it speaks of wisdom. Not seeing that that is speaking of the pre-incarnate Christ. But Proverbs 8 says this. Listen to what the writer says. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights besides the way at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Besides the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call and I cry. To the children of men, O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I speak noble things. And then it says that. And the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at first before the beginning of the earth. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, for the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. And when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. I was daily his delight. So the Jews understood that there was such thing as wisdom, the word. But what we see in our text in the following verses as that the word was with God and the word was God. So we see this and as we walk through this that, that Jesus, this word, is God himself. Look at verse 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then verse 2. He was with God in the beginning. Many commentators say this, that the best way to know anybody is if they speak and they let you know what's on their mind. To have a relationship with anybody, you've got to use words. To have any kind of way of, of acting and having any kind of action in your life, it starts up there in your head. You've got to make a plan. In fact, the, the greater vocabulary that you have, the greater your ability to have wisdom and to make plans and to think. That's why education is so important. But now what we're learning here is that God has come to speak to us through His Son. That we can know Him. That He is our Creator and God is is knowable. So that when Philip says, uh, Lord, show us the Father, he says, Philip, do you not know that he who has seen me has seen the Father? I was the glory before the beginning. I have come to reveal the Father. We, we read in Colossians and in, in, our, in our confession of faith that he is the very image of God. And so he speaks as our God. Notice in verse 3, that all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You, you see, um, John is saying, in case you don't get this, that everything that exists, including us today, was made by him. That the reason you're here is because Jesus is your creator. He made you. He gave you your, uh, your soul. 
that he has communicated uh, to his creatures. Now, the verse 4. Uh, it says that in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the word here for life is not bios, it's not biological life, it's the word zoe. And what zoe is saying, that he is the life itself, that in him is life, in him is meaning. That we know that our lives mean more to us than just, just our biology. Uh, that we can uh, be educated and we can make a living and we can get married and we can buy things and we can have children. We know that life is more than that. Life consists of something greater than ourselves. That There has to be purpose in our lives. We live, even if you're not a Christian, you're living your life as though um, it has meaning. And yet there's so much, so much teaching this out there is that there absolutely is no meaning. All there is to life is the bias that you evolved. And the reason that you're here is because you're here. And yet every person is always asking questions of where did I come from? Why am I here? How should I live? And what we discover is that God has come in the person of Christ to speak to us Because he is life. That in him is life. Because he's your God. That all things were created by him and through him, including us. And to be disconnected from him, who is life, is to live a life that's moving toward darkness and death. The last thing that he says, and then I want to conclude... He says in verse 5 that the light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the life and that Jesus is the light. He's the light of the world. He says that in John 5. He said, I am the light of the world. He who comes to me will see. You know... Light is, is an amazing thing. <laughs> uh, when you think about darkness and something is dark and, and there's, you flip the light on and boom, uh, you, you see. It cannot overcome. The darkness cannot overcome the light. The sun comes up in the morning and that which was dark begins to flee away and you begin to see everything in the light of the sun. And even if there's an eclipse uh, when the sun's down, the, the moon gives light because it's a reflection of the glory of the sun. And if there's an eclipse and you have all the lights uh, of the stars that penetrate the darkness. And what our text tells us is this, is that Jesus has come into the world and he is the light of the world and the darkness has not overcome uh, the world. Um, I mean, it's amazing how light exposes everything. You know, certainly the law exposes things about us. The law is true. The law is light. The law is, exposes us for who we are. The law is like, the, it's, it's like going into the, to the, to the bathroom and you're on a date and you cut the lights on the bathroom or you walk in and the, it begins to expose the blemishes that are there. It, is, it exposes who you are. But you see, Jesus is the light that comes into the darkness, but not only is he the light, but he is the life. He is light and he is life. And he brings life to all who believe.
Um, I can't think of anything more practical than what we just read. Uh, practical theology, like people say, well, tell me, okay, theology, I get it, but tell me, you know, how do I read my Bible? Uh, how am I supposed to work out my marriage? My marriage is in terrible shape. How do I work my Is there some book that I need to read? Um, how, do I, how do I handle the fact that I didn't get in law school? How do I handle the fact that uh, my, my, my parents uh, got a divorce? Is there some technique, is there something that can help me figure this out? And you miss the whole point. And the whole point is, to know Christ and to be united to Him makes everything clear, even when you're in doubt. Even when you don't know what to do. Then He made your wife. He made your husband. He made your professor. Uh, he is the God who is the God of providence. He is working all things out for His glory. And to be able as a person to go, oh, so Lord, you, you don't want me to go to medical school. You don't want me to make a million dollars by the time I'm 30 years old. You want me to have this sickness unto death. Well, what could be more practical than His life? And his light and to be united to him makes sense out of everything. Let, let me tell you, do you have a if your marriage struggling right now? Are you struggling in your marriage? Then I, here's what I would ask you to do. I would ask you to meditate on these first five verses. That in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And there's nothing that has been made that, that apart from him. And Hebrews tells us that he he sustains the whole world by the word of his power. Everything about me and you, your successes, your failures, everything is in the context of the sovereignty of the reign of Jesus Christ. And he's awesome. So let me conclude uh, with this. And I always, I always wonder, should I, should I give this as an example or not? Well, I will. And if I get rebuked, that's okay. Um, years ago, people said, you know, you ought to watch that uh, movie on AMC, uh, Breaking Bad. And I said, uh, why is that? And they said, well, it's a great depiction of this guy named Walter White. Right? He's this chemistry professor. And he's dying. And... Uh, and uh, he wants to leave, uh, make a living for his family, but he doesn't have enough money. And so basically what Walter does, he starts selling meth. And what you see in like five or six seasons is you see Walter White do exactly what Romans 1 says when God hands you over. Like today, if you refuse the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will be handed over. And what will happen when you refuse and you suppress the truth? You can go read Romans 1. What happens is you, you exchange your truth for a lie and you worship the created thing rather than the creator. And then God says, okay, if you want to move from the light and move into darkness, it'll take over your life. The darkness, what is there? What I brought my law to expose, which is your darkness so that you would turn to the light. And so Walter just goes right down. Six seasons. 
But you remember Saul? If you've seen it, if you, if you, Saul's this lawyer who's a crooked lawyer. <laughs> but you kind of like Saul. There's something about Saul, you just kind of like him. But he's a crooked lawyer, and you're going, how did, but he kind of cares about Walter. And, and so, so they did another sequel on Saul, the lawyer. And so, so it tells you the story of why Saul became a crooked lawyer. And I want to tell you that, and I want to make my point in close. So Saul was a petty thief. And uh, he was a um, con artist. And uh, he, you know, he got in trouble with the law. Well, his brother, his brother was an outstanding citizen who was a lawyer par excellence. But his brother, who was the lawyer, got sick. And so Saul went to take care of his brother. Just cared and loved his brother. But, uh, but Saul, in the meantime, he decided to get his life straightened out. And so you know what he did? Without telling his brother, he went to law school at night. And it took him eight or nine years as he's taking care of his brother. And eventually, uh, he uh, tells his brother... Hey, I'm a lawyer now. And he had won some big case for his brother's company. And so Saul has spent all this time trying, the petty thief, trying to get in his brother's good graces. And his brother said this one thing to him, and it sent him down the hole. He, his brother said, you can't be a lawyer. You're a petty thief. And he, and he gave in to the dark side. And I started thinking... You know how opposite the gospel is. I mean, yes, absolutely, the law is there. The law is to not only expose you for being a petty thief, the law is to expose you that you're just like all the rest of us. And so the scriptures tell us that Moses brought this great covenant, the law, to condemn us. But our text says at the end of this prologue, that in Jesus Christ, there is grace and truth. So let me say this to you today. If you turn to Christ this morning in all your darkness, and you're going, I, you know, I have no hope, I have no meaning, uh, let me tell you, he is not like Saul's brother. He's just going to say, you know what, it's too late for you, you're a petty thief. You turn to the light, and the amazing thing about turning to Christ is not, oh, I intellectually believe that. Oh, he's a son of God. Oh, he's a, he's a savior of sinners. No, 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 no. He says, as many as turned to him, gave he the power to be the sons of God. Now, do you know that power in your life? Uh, as Peter says, the divine seed has been planted in you. I know it happened to me when I was 17 years old. Does that mean I'm a great guy, I'm a wonderful guy? No, actually what it means is ever since I've been a Christian for 42 years because I know I'm in Christ, I'm united to his life, I can look at the darkness still that still resides and say, Lord, show me all those sins you've already paid for. And he says, do you believe the gospel that I've already paid for those sins? Yes, Lord, I believe. Okay, well then I'm going to show you your sins. By the fact, that's one of the great works of the Holy Spirit. But if you turn to Christ and you say, Lord Jesus, I need you today, He is God, and His promise is He will change you today.
this morning. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the book of John. It's an amazing book. Uh, it is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that as we uh, work our way through um, this book, that we would see the glory of Christ, not only in his deity, that he sits at your right hand, but that his ultimate glory is that he came into this world and he was raised up on a cross and died for us. That is the ultimate glory of Jesus. So, Father, I pray for any who are here today that don't know you, that they would come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that he is not only their creator, but he's their redeemer. And, Father, for us who know you, and we ask that you, in these weeks and months that lie ahead, that you would warm our hearts again uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in your name and for your sake. Amen.